0: Step into The Wealth Elevator and join our 12,000-plus member community who have passively invested over $200 million to acquire over $2.1 billion in commercial real estate. Sign up by going to thewealthelevator.com slash club. And here we go.
1: What's up, Wealth Elevator podcast listeners? Well-known investor Howard Marks describes significant shifts in the economic and investment futures ahead. He calls these the sea changes. There are three phases that he's talking about. The first of them was when I graduated college back in 2007 and a new investor straight out of college, I saw the 2008 collapse when my first money went in and I pretty much lost it and had to rebuild like everybody else at that point. And what I saw from the start was the Federal Reserve pretty much putting the Fed's fund rate to zero. And this started a 13-year period of Pretty much free money, monetary policy with low interest rates. And this created the long economic recovery, which was the longest on record where businesses found it relatively easy to make profits, securing financing and go public. And you saw this with the run up, even if they weren't really that profitable. And you could even say this was true when I used to buy these trinky rentals and did the buy hope and pray model where you buy something and you don't do any value add to it. But dang it, the price goes up and you look like a genius. And this is what I did from 2009 to 2015, buying 11 of these turnkey rental properties. There's so many times from 2015 to 2020 when I thought that was going to be the top. And as we all know, looking back, 2016 to 2017 was that golden era of apartment investing, which could very well be in 2024 and 2025 as we catch this nice bounce off the bottom. But going back to history, not too long ago, remember that pandemic in 2020 when the world shut down, which we'll talk more in today's podcast with Peter Lidderman. But the emergence of these higher inflation in 2022 led the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates finally. And boy, did they raise them, marking the fastest tightening cycle in 40 years and put an end to quantitative easing. Howard Marks emphasizes that these changes suggest a fundamental altercation to the investment environment, indicating that strategies that worked well since 2009 may not be effective in the future. Additionally, I've taken this as a signal that future investing will be much harder in the future. At least we haven't figured out where the easy wins are at this point. And perhaps we may need to start looking at other investment methods. That's just private equity. Heck, I even started to join my local Hawaii Angels group here in Hawaii to invest in venture capital type of investments. Yeah, I'm looking at all types of things right now, even things that aren't making money yet. Because I feel like you just can't do it the way we used to do, at least for the time being, until interest rates come back down. I do not believe in the whole, let's just wait around until all signs are green because then you have missed out on all the bounce off the bottom and the good returns. But I understand where investment mindset comes from, right? Right now are times of fear. And in times of fears, when the professional investors get in and get most of the returns, it's the amateurs who wait till things are going to be good, maybe in 2026 and 27. It's those same investors. were late to the party in 2021 and 2022 and got hurt the most. What I do know is that those who create value are the folks that get what they want in terms of wealth, because wealth is indicative of people creating value in this world, not people trading stocks or cryptos. And that was something I learned a long time ago on those initial turnkey rental properties where I didn't do anything to the asset. When you're relying on the market to continue on in a positive direction, I think that can make you lazy. And if you're assuming the worst that we are in a situation where we're going upstream, the only way you're going to be successful is to value add to the asset. If you're a passive investor out there, you're not going to be doing any general partnership, value adding yourself. I think this is the most important time to get around other purely passive accredited investors and huddle up. The best opportunity for this is at our next annual Las Vegas retreat coming up in January 12th to 13th. This is your opportunity to meet other purely passive investors and and really figure out out of the people who are not frozen with fear where to put your money so you can deploy even if you are deploying in an upstream battle. To learn more, go to thewealthelevator.com slash Vegas and you can check out all the past videos that we've done from the past events that we've done. Basically, it's a good time. And we've also tried to cram everything down into a two-day program from a three-day program, knowing that a lot of you guys have to get back to your families and it's just really hard to get away. By the way, remember that weekend is a three-day holiday. So you have an extra day to recover from the weekend of fun. So enjoy the today's podcast. Remember, he's one of those guys that aren't these fear-porn guys on YouTube that just want to scare you. And remember, There is always opportunity out there. It just depends on the deal and you have to be adding value to the asset. Hello, investors. Yeah, market update and forecast for the remainder of 2023. I have Peter Litteman on the line, who is a esteemed professor. You guys can check out his work at Littleman Associates, where he writes this Litteman letter a paid newsletter that I got my hands on and I started to dig in and started to add it to what I read. As much as I've always told you guys, be careful what you see out there in podcast land and YouTube world. And a lot of people are just a lot of doom and gloom. i not a PhD in economics like Mr. Lilliman here. Our listeners have heard it for me, what's been happening with the Fed after the COVID pandemic and the stimulus. But maybe real quickly, just in your words to for people to hear it in a different way catch us up what's been happening post pandemic and where we are now just so everybody's on the same
0: page let me if i might just take a quarter step back which was to remind people if we were sitting in february 2020 the economy was hardly perfect markets were hardly perfect everything was normal-ish With lots of challenges, but that's always true, right? There's always challenges. I'm 72 years old and every year I'm alive, there's always challenges, right? And then the pandemic, and people forget, it shut the economy down. Like a third of the economy of the world stopped. You wanted to get cataract surgery, you weren't allowed. You wanted to go shop at a mall, weren't allowed. And I'm not saying good or bad. Just factually. Supply the plummeted, demand plummeted, 23% of the labor force was collecting unemployment. Just a little over three years ago, 23% of the workforce collecting population, you forget. And everything since then has been dealing with long COVID, long economic COVID, right? Which is, oh yeah, these consequences didn't go away overnight. And a lot of the consequences went away quite quickly, but some of them a blast. Among the ones that have, I'll give you one that's clearly is the return to office, right? Nobody talked about that in 2019, and today it's a real issue, right? That's long economic. Cool. Let's talk about inflation. We had inflation one and a half, two percent for thirty years or more, and we thought it was a big deal. If inflation went from one point eight to two point one, I was like, ooh. And suddenly, we overnight got inflation. Why? We got overnight inflation. I'll give you I was a Milton Friedman student, which doesn't mean much to most people. But 50 years ago, I was a Milton Friedman student at the University of Chicago. And you'll hear Milton passed away. be quoted saying, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. He did say that. But what they don't tell you also said was because. And the because was... Most markets, most of the time, kind of work, and supply and demand are more or less in balance. So it's highly improbable that you would have an economy or for item after item, demand systematically outruns supply. And that was true until we shut down the economy. And then demand came back a lot faster than supply because a lot of businesses went out of business. The lines of production were shut down. Transit was regulated. Airline pilots were let go. You know all that, right? What do you have when you have across the economy demand coming back faster than supply? You had what Milton Friedman didn't think was possible, which is economy-wide demand rising massively faster than demand, and that pushed up prices across the economy. The Fed has an index of what they call a supply chain issues, but it's really shortages. That's really what it is. And you can imagine most of history, we don't have shortages. We get a little shortage up and a little shortage down and a little shortage up and a little and looks. And by early 2021, it was four standard deviations above normal. Never had been close to that. Now, those of you who don't know statistics or don't remember, four standard deviations mean oh my God, we've never seen anything like this before. Is it surprising if, oh my God, we've never seen supply shortages like this before? You get a big spurt of inflation. And that's what happened. The Fed believes it was because of interest rates being too low and because of too much money. And they they may not have helped the case. I was writing in late 2020, they needed to get interest rates up. They needed to do. So they were late. And then- They compounded their lateness by saying, oh, don't worry, we're not going to raise interest rates. And the last time they had said that was after the financial crisis. And it took them eight years to raise interest rates, eight years to raise interest rates. If you were a bank or an investor and you were told by the Fed, don't worry, we're not going to really raise interest rates. And the last time took them eight years, even though the economy grew dramatically, you might think, huh. Even if they do it four times faster, I got two years. And so people took steps, not everybody, but they took steps. And then a matter of two months later, the Fed said, oh, we're only kidding. And they had the most rapid rate increase in history. Okay, And it was impossible for a lot of people to adjust to that. And the Fed was late going in and overreacted the other direction.
1: Now it's hindsight, right? Like. it was, they were too late to raise it. it. took them eight years to do it. What was the resistance at the time? Because I think that gets lost, right? What was there? what is the theory better, that you have?
0: Better safe than sorry. that was that simple, right? In human terms, better safe than sorry. And we didn't get a lot of consumer inflation in the 2010, but as we got a lot of asset price inflation, right? Gold, gold prices, real estate, stocks, et cetera. So- where the inflation showed was not in consumer prices, it showed in asset prices. What inflates is what people want. In the 2010s, what people really went after were assets. And their view was better better late than sorry. It was a silly view all through the 2010s. I'm writing right raising. It's destructive, it's slowing down the economy. A zero rate means a retirees getting no income on their checking accounts and CDs. And as a result, they've been robbed of income and they're not giving down payment money to their grandchildren. You can track me and let them and let them. every year for eight years say they finally started raising and then the shutdown happened. Nobody knew what would happen and they flooded the market with liquidity. And that was probably right because who knows? But Once it was clear that the economy was starting back, they should have said zero is a little low. And certainly they shouldn't have said, okay, we're not going to raise it. And certainly they shouldn't have then raised it faster than any time in history. Because you you can take adjustments if they happen slowly. Very different than if they haven't passed. If you get 10 inches of rain over a year, it's one thing. You get 10 inches of rain in an hour, it's another thing. And what they've given is 10 inches of rain in and out. And they could have given 10 inches of rain over the course of a year. And they didn't. And this caused a lot of disruption in the capital markets that were already still recovering from COVID, right? Still trying to figure out things. Construction is on apartments shut down in 2020, tries to catch up in 2021. You get a spurt of renders. Why did you get a spurt of renters in late 20 and early 21? You got a spurt of renters because it was okay to have a roommate or live with my parents if I partied all day, if I worked all day and partied all night. But when I had to stay home all day and there was nowhere to go, uh uh I don't want to live with my parents and I don't want a roommate. So a million people moved out. And that was a spurt to demand, a big spurt to demand. That played out. And by the way, it's so stupid to think about raising interest rates, is raising interest rates going to get those ships that were out in the harbor unloaded any faster? That was crazy that the, it, they were raising rates. And the problem was ships are sitting out in the heart with un, unable to unload because there are no truck drivers. You want to explain to me how raising interest rates gets me more truck drivers, more longshoremen? It doesn't.
1: So, well, in the, short, the, in the short term, the Fed is managing towards the inflation numbers, which is um, both perceptive. Okay. Yeah. That's oh, you, right you said, or wrong, right or wrong, right? That's their viewpoint.
0: Okay. You use a critical word, manage. Okay. Manage implies that you actually have control. You actually have control. Historically, the Fed, and certainly the current Fed, is acting as if they're driving a precision automobile with brand new tires right. on a test track in perfect weather conditions. What in fact they have is a jalopy with bald tires on ice and a blizzard. So they have some control. They don't have that kind of control over the economy. It's absurd to think so. And it creates problems. If you think you have control over things you don't have control, you're going to get in trouble. And that's, again, what we're living through. And they believe they have control. And if you don't believe, they believe. Remember on the eve of those banks failing, literally on the eve of the banks failing and them propping them up, bailing out and so forth, they raised the rate. They raised the rate. And you go, you got to be a real believer in your powers when there's that much chaos that you're taking unprecedented bank steps to back up banks. And then you say, okay, 25 basis points more. Give me a break. That's just insane. They're misguided. They are misunderstanding inflation. Inflation's far lower than they're saying, far lower. And it's not hard to figure out, by the way. It's in the data. Come to that in a second. But they should have started cutting the rate, and they shouldn't have gotten as high as they did. They should have started cutting it probably in December, and it should be down to three and a half or so by now, and probably on its way to two and a half. So they're late. Now, why? Because inflation is far lower than they're saying. How do I know that over the last four months, forget year over year, over the last four months, the rate of inflation annualized is about 3%. Anybody out there slitting their wrist over 3% inflation? I don't think so. Second, the 3% is misleadingly high because the main push on that inflation is housing costs, rent and housing costs. Now, take two parts. Two-thirds of American households own their house, right? How much did their rent go up last month or the month before or the month before? I own my home. My rent doesn't go up. So for two-thirds of American households, there is no increase in rent. Fair enough? They pretend that you rent from your neighbor and your neighbor rents from you. That's absurd because it's not true. You had no rent increase. By the way, maybe if you rented from your neighbor, you would have had a rent increase, but you didn't. Second, the numbers on rent. So the other third of American households is basically about six months ago. Now, your listeners are a lot of them in multifamily. You're in multifamily. If I say to you, how much were rents increasing six months ago across your portfolio and others you know? You, I don't know, five percent a year, maybe six percent. If I ask you today, across the nation, over the last two months, how much are rents increasing annualized today? You'd say, we've got some going down, some going up, some holding, but we're giving concessions. And you might say zero to one percent. That's not pushing inflation. So they've got in there that a big chunk of the inflation is reflecting housing costs, which are not going up. When you make any kind of adjustment for that, remember the 3% I told you about over the last four months? That gets down to 1.5%. It's an afterthought. So they're fighting last year's war and doing a lot of damage in the process. How can they be so dumb is a question I get asked. No
1: answers. The public perception is to look at the inflation, which I think is what they're going after. But I think what you bring up a good point in terms of t- pulling out that housing data and going to core inflation as a statistic, right? That's
0: It's core adjusted for the reality of what's happening to home prices, and uh, not home prices, housing costs. That's what it is. It's core adjusted for the reality of housing costs rather than a fiction about housing costs six months ago, all right? I'm not denying six months ago, those numbers were there. How can they be this dumb? Quick not that hard when you fall subject to groupthink. And let me give you two examples for your listeners that they'll identify with immediately. Everybody watched the ads in the Super Bowl, right? And all year long, really smart people, high paid people, talented people work night and day to come up with Super Bowl ads, right? And at least half of them were bombs. You would agree? Just complete bombs. How's that possible? And the answer is somewhere along the line, they felt subject to grip thing. Namely, you said it, I laughed, everybody who thought differently held their tongue, off we go, and then it's a bomb in the end, okay? And it's not not like anybody's malicious, it's just that's what happened. Give you another example. The other example, think about the removal of people from Afghanistan, right? Nobody was trying to make that a disaster. Nobody was sitting around going, well, wow. I hope we can get it where a whole bunch of people get killed and we got planes going out with people holding on to them, right? On the undercarriage. Nobody did that. These were talented people, worked hard, fell subject to groupthink. That's what's happening with it. And by the way, it, all I'm saying is it's not unusual to fall subject to groupthink. And you witness in other areas and you're not surprised don't be surprised here.
1: And the other thing is, like everybody is so surrounded and you think over the annual rate, where they don't really look at absolutely. maybe the one or two or a year two, two three month moving average too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's a mathematical mistake of saying year over year rather than what's happening right now. And a lot of times they don't differ, but they do differ now, and it's not surprising they differ. Because we have this economic long COVID phenomenon where things are still searching for equilibrium, so to speak.
1: So my theory is at some point, they're going to, as inflation is around 3%, they're going to switch from the regular inflation statistic and do a switchery with the core. You see that happening or can um, you say, oh, we're there. They, oh, we, we passed they, the finish they, line. We're um, successful.
0: They're going to, you. my gut is they're going to do what you would do or I would do, which is they're going to change course because they're eventually going to see they've made a mistake. But it's very difficult to admit that out loud. I know it is for me. I suspect for you and your listeners. And they're going to use whatever data they can scrounge up to back up their change. As opposed to saying, oh, we should have changed five months ago, six months ago. They're going to find something to hang on to and hang their hat on. But because they're human.
1: Yeah. I mean, they they use the narrative of inflation, which is, is a little bit over-exaggerated or, or a lot over-exaggerated. Why? as It means to do this rampish hawkish rate increase increases, probably two sigma off of the standard increase. But, but yeah, at what point do they switch around and say, oh, we, we hit our target. Good for us. And uh, yeah.
0: And if you asked me, I said six months ago, right? But they didn't. They kept going. And I think that's the human nature of, by the way, remember you asked me, why did they keep the rate low for the eight years? Same rationale now. Better safe than sorry. Better safe than time. If they're
1: not broken, don't screw with it.
0: And so they're using identical kind of inertia thinking, right? It's just that the inertia thinking then was on the low side and the inertia thinking now is on the high side. And eventually they'll get it. But again, Milton Friedman, 50 years ago, said the Fed is always late. They're always arrogant. They always believe they have more control than they do. And they always overreact. That was 50 years ago. He said that you could have said it yesterday
1: and been accurate. I would ask Uncle Milton Friedman, which is why I never went to class during college. Who else has more power than the Fed?
0: I'll tell you what he would have said. He wrote extensively about why you don't need the Fed and that you can have a rule that simply says the money supply increases at 5% a year because you do need extra liquidity as an economy grows and just take 5% a year. And that gives you room and I don't need a Fed to say 5% a year. And his reason was not that he used to say that a benevolent, all-knowing Fed would do better than a rule of 5% a year. Unfortunately, we have neither a benevolent or all-knowing Fed. And so even though a fixed rule is not perfect, it might be better than non-benevolent, non-all-knowing. Now, there's a lot of debate you can have around that. But remember, here's one thing to remember. Before 1913, there was no Fed. There was nobody setting in who set interest rates, all of us. All of us. And they, they expanded the money supply as they thought the economy needed more money. It was that simple. We didn't have a Fed. And there was a long debate about do we get more stability with the Fed or without the Fed? And if you had ask economists prior to 2008, almost all of them would say most of the time it doesn't matter, but the big problems aren't as bad with the Fed as they were without the Fed. Okay, and then you had the financial crisis and now you've had this not so clear. Like family and
1: some friends were stuck with them. It is what it is. Oh, no (laughs) doubt about that.
0: (laughs) Things for listeners to remember is the U.S. economy is not the client of the Fed. First and foremost, the Fed was created was in 1913, 1914, whichever, for the purpose of safety and propping up banks. So it was created for Their mission for the economy came about because the belief is if you have the banks backed, you've got the economies back. And there's some truth to that, but it's hardly exactly the same thing. I can help banks without helping the economy. I can help the economy without helping banks. And the Fed's first and foremost job is to save banks and the banking system. Not you as a borrower. Not you as a worker, the banks and the banking system. So we'll
1: circle on some of those political influences at the end of the show. We'll come back to that. But one of the narratives for keeping the rates where they're at right now and not dropping them right away, like how they've done the last several times is, I guess, Powell doesn't want to be like Volcker and drop the rates too soon. What's your thoughts about that?
0: It's too late already. And Volker was much better. Volker was much better driver, as was Greenspan. There wasn't as much groupthink at that time. There was much more internal dissent at that time, especially during the Volker years. There was much more dissent, internal dissent, and internal dissent is a good thing, right? There's been almost no internal dissent in the Powell years, and that's worse. And think about it. You and I can easily disagree. You can talk to 10 other people who can easily disagree. You're telling me nobody disagree? That should worry.
1: So let's switch to the future and where the rubber meets the road, at least for us, right? Real estate investor in the commercial space. Catch us up to the big players. Because I think a lot of the investors, they don't really have insights on what the institutions are doing and the big lending house and catch us up to there. Big money
0: center banks, the seven, I think it is, big money center banks have huge reserves and they have a lot of capital. They are reluctant to lend aggressively because there's uncertainty about what the Fed's going to do. And what the Fed does affects their balance sheet. and They don't want to be caught out if the Fed raises another 100 basis points. So they're hoarding cash a bit. Now, are they making loans? Yeah, but selectively at lower leverage and at higher costs. Now, that's the big money center banks. The non-money center banks don't have near the reserves because of how QE was implemented. The rise in interest rates has really hit their balance sheets hard. Um, They're basically treading water. And hoping interest rates come down, which would help their balance sheet. And in the meantime, just focus on the best of the best, right, as the only thing you do. Roll over the best of the best. So debt markets are a little tight. Multifamily, the notable exception, because of Freddie and Benny, who are still at. However, the banks, particularly regional banks, are important for construction, development. And they're sitting on the sideline and only doing for the best customers development loans and at lower loan to cost and at bigger spreads. And you can do it, but it's hard. And that's why you've seen construction activity for multifamily going down quickly. It's really falling quickly because if I can't get a construction loan, it's hard.
1: And that's why we've been trying to push so hard to get out into the waters now before things really get crowded, maybe in the next six months to a year.
0: I agree. and that, But what I would tell people, we've done a fair amount of research on this, is that times of capital market disarray, this would be one of them, financial crisis, 9-11, early 90s, early 80s, oil embargo, those are the type I'm talking about. If you have equity and you go in When everybody else is a bit frightened, you'll do better than normal return over a five to 10-year period. Why? Because it's a tough business. It's a competitive business. If you have an edge, you generally will win. I don't know if you win in a day, right? Given enough time, you'll win. You and I might actually score a basket on Denver Nuggets and get ahead two nothing. But I don't think we're going to win. There's a long-run phenomenon there. And the and in if you can get a competitive advantage and the competitive advantage is having courage and capital when courage and capital are scarce. And right now, courage and capital are scarce. And I think this is an extraordinary time to do it. But instead of doing it at 65% debt, you have to do it at 55% debt. Instead of having a construction loan at 70% of cost, You have to do it at 50% of cost. That means you need more equity. And equity is hard to come by when capital markets are scarce. That's why, if you can do it, it turns out really well. So I actually think this is a very good time. Not if you're going to hold a day or a week or a month, but if you're going to hold five, 10 years, I think there's an extremely good time to get in. But you got to get in with more equity.
1: And that's the problem, right? For retail investors out there, they, When you added more equity, then your return on equity goes down. And what once used to be a 100% return is now a 75, 80% return just because of that. But you're not taking into account that advantage phenomenon when you're selling with less competition out there.
0: You're dead on. And not just when you sell, that three years on, four years on, the debt markets are back and you're going to refinance favorably and you're going to... Rents are going to grow faster than you pro forma than you reasonably pro forma because of the drop in supply that happened, right? And those are hard to underwrite. But what we found is they come true in these periods of capital market distress.
1: Yeah, this is exactly that Warren Buffett quote, right? When there's blood in the streets, that's the time they get greedy, was it that I, he
0: said something, something like that? It. it may have been it may have been John David Rockefeller. But yeah, same exactly. yeah. But th- there is this sense that unless you think capital markets never recover and unless you think the economy never stops growing, not just next week, but for a long time. Come on, I want to be along for the ride. I particularly want to be along for the ride when other time. When other people had a hard time getting on the bus.
1: Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about. I've been seeing, I mean, this, maybe this is a little bit of an antidote from my aunt being on the street. It, a lot of the, in some of the institutional players have been sitting on the sign for quite some time now, maybe six months to a year, 2022. And we all know that they get paid to deploy capital and they need their individuals, need their little bonuses. I've been seeing them come back in the market on some of the larger assets.
0: Especially in multi, because Freddie and Fannie still are there on existing stuff, not so much on development, but they're talking about, look, they've got capital, they've got to use it. Investors gave it to them. Put it this way. I was an investor. I gave it to a big institution to invest for me because I had no idea what to do with the money. And I trusted that you would. What? You're going to give me the money back saying, I have no idea either? That's not a great business model. Right to say, you gave me the money because you didn't know what to do, and I'm going to turn right back around and say, I'm clueless too. So you know they're going to invest. They're going to hang on a bit because they're waiting to see how much disruption this capital market creates. I don't think it's going to create big disruption in multi. It is going to create a lot of disruption in office, but I don't think much of the money wants to go into office. That's a separate issue, right? If lenders aren't lending, they're going to sit around as long as they can, right? Because they want to spread their money out for diversification reasons. They want to spread it out for the juice of leverage, et cetera. But they're going to place their money. And by the way, the flip side of that is those money center banks, they're going to sit on their money forever. They Everything you just said, how do I get a bonus if all I ever do is sit on my money as a lender? So they've got to put money out. But it will take yeah. a little time to work through.
1: Yeah, got to play mom and dad's 401k plan or the baby boards, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess like looking forward, it's all forecasts, right? Where do you think interest rates are heading now? What's the Fed thinking as of this week in June? There is some good financial data, which I think is bad, which might give the Fed more ammo to raise it again. But where do you think is things are heading on a quarterly basis as, as far as rates going? And then maybe talk a little bit of, like, how long is it stabilized there? When does it come down? What's your crystal ball telling
0: you? So a good friend for many years asked me about three weeks ago, why did I be an autonomous? And I said, as a child, I wanted to become a tarot card reader, but it required too much technical expertise. So with that disclaimer, what is the Fed thinking? The Fed is thinking inertia, right? Better safe than sorry. Better to keep the rates up and get some unemployment. Because, by the way, every time the Fed says they want unemployment, I say, I'll tell you where to start. Why don't you start with your staff? Of course, they don't mean that kind of unemployment, right? They mean others. I think eventually, and eventually is probably in the next three to four months, they'll declare victory on inflation and they'll pause and they'll start lowering rates. What they're thinking. They believe in the Phillips curve. They believe there's a trade-off between inflation. They've said this. They believe there's a trade-off between inflation and employment. There's no evidence of that. There's no intellectual case for that. That was well settled in the 1970s and early 1980s with tons of research. And yet it lingers on. If we create more unemployment, we'll get rid of inflation. That's the Phillips curve. And you go, huh? So they're being guided by something that is not intellectually sound or empirically sound. It's been shown not to be the case, but that's what they're living by. Given that, they're going to do some damage before they're going to get where employment goes way down. Like the data you were talking about, what was the last month we added 360,000 jobs. Everybody in America was happy except the Fed. If last month we had lost 360,000 jobs... Everybody in America would be unhappy except the Fed. That's a crazy economic model. That's just insane. But that's what they're living. That's what they're thinking. So I think they've got to see either lower inflation or more pain. I think they're going to finally realize inflation is a lot lower than they think. And as they do, they'll start lowering the rates. But they'll do it slower than they should. And we just hope they don't skid by in the other direction, oversteer in the other direction on the ice. How long does it take? Look, think about it this way. Uh, Inflation, go back to where we worked, inflation of one and a half to 2%. And you say the short term rate should be 50 basis points above that. It's not risky, right? On the short term. So let's say, 1.75% inflation, short-term rate, two to two and a quarter. The long-term rate, 100 basis points above that, 125 basis points above that. And that's it. And it'll take them a while to get there, and they're going to overshoot as they go. Then we go back up
1: a little bit, but not off off the highs and off the lows.
0: And the the money starts flowing again. And as the money starts flowing, cap rates improve. The money has got to get placed. And as that money gets placed, it's going to chase assets. And as it chase assets, it's going, the money coming back is going to come back faster than the physical stock of property, right? So the amount of money chasing the assets is going to increase fast. Then the stock of assets increases, and that's going to push prices up, which is cap rates down. I'm not saying it pushes them down to two, but it's going to reverse this phenomena we've seen in the last, what, eight months? nine months, something like that.
1: Another theory that comes up to knock the rates back down is the next year being an election year. We talked a little bit how the Fed has connected some of the corporations, the banks. Maybe you think there's a linkage there. Yeah, not, sure. they're,
0: yeah they're, sorry. There are two political theories about the Fed's behavior, political conspiracy theories, if you will. One is the Republican conspiracy people say, The Fed's trying to inject all this pain on the economy so that by, I don't know, November of this year, they can start miraculously making everything better. People will forget the bad times. It'll all be glorious in the run-up to the election next year, and the Democrats will benefit. Interestingly, the Democrat conspiracy people say, no, the Fed is raising rates now to torpedo the economy and Biden and Democrats so that they get blamed for all the pain that's going to incur in the economy. And that will help the Republicans in the election. I don't think either is true. I don't know that. I don't think either is true. I just think they're wrong. So thinking, speaking of conspiracies,
1: what's one of those like economic Maybe dooming gloom theories that something is going to end, like too much creditism or something like that, That or another idea that you disagree with, and why?
0: I don't, gen- basically. I know there was a time, it was 19, 30, September 1939 in Poland, and Poland kind of did come to an end in, as the start of World War II came. That is not typical. And in my life, I constantly hear people saying the world's coming to an end. And the crazy ones carry placards out on the street. And the less, uh, the more articulate ones are in the media and politics. Let me put it that way. And the world's coming to an end. The world's coming to an end. There's going to be no money. We're never going to need office buildings again. Online retail is going to eliminate all retail. is ever going to work again. Remember, three years ago, nobody was ever going to come back to work, right? All those people who were collecting unemployment, had suddenly found a new lifestyle and they were going to magically just never come back. No one was ever going to work at yeah. a restaurant again. They no all moved to Boise,
1: ever- Idaho. Apparently,
0: Yeah. Everybody was going to move to Boise, God. Idaho and have a bunker. I'm not a big believer that the world comes to an end. Does the world constantly change? Of course. But just like I don't go from your age to my age overnight. Going from your age to my age, there are a lot of changes, but they're very incremental. Most of them are quite easy to adjust to and the world doesn't come to an end. So this, there is this narrative constantly under many guises that the world's coming to an end. There are many horrible things in our economy. We could spend five hours just listing them and we could have done it five years ago and 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 40 years ago. There's no shortage of horrible things in our economy, in our world, in our nature. But you know what? Basically, we keep growing. And yet we have little moments where we don't grow. But you know what? We basically keep growing. And I would, I just say, look, there's always problems. And in spite of those problems, the miracle of the economy is we grow, not because we don't have problems. Now, by the way, if we had an amazing school system with amazingly focused students and we just go on and on would we grow faster? Yes, but in spite of that we still grow. You can almost say that about everything. By the way, high taxes, bad regulations, in spite of that we grow. And that's the real message I would have for people. You're in real estate, you're in the long-term business. Mike Milton had a, a loosely or I'll paraphrase which is, if you're a trader, you need to know what's coming across the wire in the next five minutes. But to be an investor, you need to know what the newspaper is going to say five to ten years from now. Be an investor. Don't try to guess what the the wire is going to say in the next five five minutes. Try to understand what the newspaper is going to say five to ten years from now. Five ten years from now, the economy is going to be bigger. It's going to be more vibrant. Capital markets will be more normalized. And by the way, we'll solve a ton of problems. Yeah.
1: I'm just a stupid real estate investor. I've got a 3.0 GPA in
0: college, but I tell people they think I'm kidding. Don't get this too distracted by the shiny objects. And as we've gone through COVID, there's a million shiny objects, right? All this long COVID supply chains. What is how much unemployment? How much the interest rates? What are they? And those are all fascinating. But don't get distracted by the shiny objects. Focus on, is it a good piece of property? Is it in a market that when you come back and look at the newspaper five to 10 years from now, it's going to say good things? Focus on, is it well-designed? Is it got a good operate? Focus on that much more so than will the Fed raise 25 basis
1: points. Yeah, pretty common case that comes up is like people will be like, oh my God. I just, the commercial real estate world is going to crumble because there's all these like loans that are expiring now coming for due. And I've been through this several times. Like I seen this not happen in 2018, 2014. The world doesn't end.
0: Remember where in 2020 as the pandemic hit, nobody was ever going to shop in shopping centers anymore. Remember? Once the shopping centers were We're allowed allowed to open up, retail sales and bricks are at record highs. The world doesn't end. Our online sales are still. A, it, it, people came back to work at restaurants. Things changed, but slowly. I
1: think it's great that investors are some are now aware of these types of things, and perhaps it skews more to them being too hyper aware of certain things and freaking out Correct. about it. But I that I think is great. But
0: I think um, it's ignorance. Let's see over. Ignorance is bliss, and a lot of people are really bliss. And the point is not to be bliss. But also the point is not to be paralyzed by it. It's to understand the framework you're working in. That's all it is to understand the framework you're working
1: Said And going back to check out what Peter puts out is Letterman Letter. You guys can access that at com. I like it because it's not really a sensationalized newsletter. It's very matter of fact. This is how it impacts this, impacts that, allows you to learn and get you away from the fake media up there but i I tried it's hard to be on the cutting edge and keep putting out this fear porn and sensationalizing things to get all these like buyer viewerships from a podcaster or youtuber perspective it's stressful oh yeah
0: crazy you can literally go crazy trying to look i'm not an expert in this but i've read a bit about the negativity bias. And there's this evolutionary view that if things were better, if there were more berries than I thought there would be, I'll survive. I'll eat some more berries than I thought. But if I didn't see the lion, that turns out really bad. And so evolutionary-wise, we are heightened aware of negative relative to positive. And I think that's probably true that most people, to varying degrees, most people are much more attracted to negative stories than positive. What can go wrong than what? And but you got to consider what could go wrong, but you can't be crazy about it. you got to be kind of data-driven about it.
1: Yeah, or at least neutral positive is what I've yeah. heard the term before. But yeah, Peter, anything else you think you want to close out with or any other parting thoughts for the well, listeners? I
0: appreciate this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we can help you. Let us know.
1: The proceeding is not tax, legal, or investment advice, nor an offer to sell securities or investment products. Always make informed decisions with professional guidance. Get educated
0: and surround yourself with a community at thewealthelevator.com slash club.